2: Born through body, speech, and mind,
1: I now fully avow. <clears throat> Harmony of difference and sameness.
2: The mind of the great sage of India is intimately transmitted from west to east. While human faculties are sharp or dull, the way has no northern or southern ancestors. The spiritual source shines clear in the light, the branching streams flow on in the dark. Grasping at things is surely delusion, according with sameness is still not enlightenment. All the objects of the senses interact and yet do not. Interacting brings involvement, otherwise each keeps its place. Sights vary in quality and form, sounds differ as pleasing or harsh. Refined and common speech come together in the dark. Clear and murky phrases are distinguished in the light. The four elements return to their natures just as a child turns to its mother. Fire heats, wind moves, water wets, earth is solid. Eye and sights, ear and sounds, nose and smells, taste, tongue and tastes. And thus, with each and thing depending on these roots, the leaves spread forth. Trunk and branches share the essence, revered and common, each has its speech. In the light there is darkness, but don't take it as darkness. In the dark there is light, but don't see it as light. Light and darkness as- oppose one another, like the front and back foot in walking. Each of the myriad things has its merit expressed according to function and place. Phenomena exist, box and lid fit, principle responds arrow points meet hearing the words understand the meaning don't set up standards of your own if you don't understand the way right before you how will you know the path as you walk progress is not a matter of far or near but if you are confused mountains and rivers block your way i respectfully urge
1: you who study the mystery do not pass your days and nights in vain May all awakened beings
2: extend with true compassion their luminous mirror wisdom. With full awareness, we have chanted the harmony of difference and sameness. We dedicate this merit to our original ancestor in India, great teacher, Shakyamuni Buddha. Our first woman ancestor, great teacher, Maha Prajapati. Our first ancestor in China, great teacher, Bodhidharma. Our first ancestor in Japan, great teacher, Eihei Dogen. Our first ancestor in America, great teacher, Shogaku Shunryu. The perfect wisdom, Bodhisattva Manjushri. To the well-being of all those afflicted with ills and to peace pervading for all peoples of the world. Gratefully, we offer this virtue to all beings, all Buddhas throughout space and time, all honored ones, Bodhisattva, Mahasattvas, wisdom beyond wisdom, Mahā. Prajnya When he is ready, perhaps Tigan would care to introduce tonight's speaker.
3: Okay, uh, I think our speaker tonight needs no introduction, but uh, Hogetsu Laurie Belzer uh, is one of our priests at Ancient Dragon Zen Gate and one of our practice leaders. And um, yeah, um, thank you, Hogetsu, for speaking tonight. Thank She's you. She's also also one of the founders of Ancient Dragon Zen Gate.
0: And the beat goes on. Uh, so... Uh, Welcome bodhisattvas. (laughs) Thank you all so much for coming together and gathering our hearts and our minds. In Chicago, it's a dark, cold and slippery time of year. So, you know, once again, we're finding our way it's a good thing Zen talks about the way a lot because we're constantly finding it. And we're finding our way again in this uncertain territory of the pandemic. You know, uh, we're gathering together now, you know, as one practice body in, in the cloud, in Zoom
1: space. Once again, uh, we've had to uh, move away from meeting in person
0: due to the our need to respond to take care of ourselves during the pandemic. You know, so when the pandemic began, you know, what it was it, March 2020-ish? <laughs> at least that's when some people woke up to it. I was amazed at how quickly our sangha, Ancient Dragon Zen Gate,
1: moved to the cloud. <laughs> you know, that we just figured out a way to come together
0: in this cloud space, um, when we could no longer sit together in our physical space and share the Dharma. And then we had an opportunity, thanks to the great effort of many people more recently, in the past several months, actually, to have sort of a pop-up physical Zendo on the north side of Chicago in an in Ebenezer Lutheran church. Um, it was, it's a place that's, you know, a little rustic by our standards, but somehow we brought our cushions and our altar and our Zazen hearts and mind. And immediately that space became our place of practice. And we also were united with the cloud. So we're learning, uh, this practice, but there's something about this thread of, of how we find our way together. And uh, create these kind of family gatherings we call zazen. You know, our dragon practice has this feeling of a family. You know, how sometimes when a family comes together, uh, they come together to celebrate things like holidays. Sometimes you even see relatives for years, but you sort of assemble and you find a way to harmonize and connect. And often families come together during times of great stress, loss, or tragedy. So I feel that somehow I've had this feeling of, uh, you know, there's this kind of unspoken, often very subtle family style that's a way of being together that harmonizes and supports us, each other, a cozy kind of familiarity. So, I've been thinking about our practice and our Soto Zen style. You know, Soto Zen, as I think everyone here knows probably well, so excuse me for saying something you already know, but that's gonna be my whole talk. You already know it, so you can go home. Um, You know, our Soto Zen is a Japanese tradition. Traditional Zen practice that has roots in China and, of course, all the way back to Shakyamuni Buddha in India. But our particular school has this kind of flavor of Japanese uh, history and
1: practice. Um, that's our Soto style. Um, and this, there's
0: something in this style that kind of links us together, uh, us American. Zen dragons and our American Soto Zen cousins who live afar. And somehow the style kind of keeps us together and joins us, you know, through thick and thin, I think of it. Um, So I wanna explore this a little bit with you and uh, have a few things to say. So we'll see how this pieces together. Um, As some of you know, uh, one of our traditions in our school is to sew uh, rakasus and okases, Buddha's robes. So somebody probably has a rakasu. You could display that for those of you who. Yeah, Taigan has one, right? And Mamina, yeah. I have this thing called an okasa. Um, we and other people here have one, but they're not wearing it, as far as I can see. So we have this practice of sewing together uh, in a group wholeheartedly and very carefully, humble pieces of fabric. (laughs) Kind of this weird thing. We take a whole piece of cloth, we cut it up and we sew it together, uh, taking refuge and we learn together Then we wear it. And, You know, this tradition of sewing goes back through Japan. Suzuki Roshi invited teachers from Japan to teach us this this style. Um, Teachers who didn't speak English, as far as I know, very well, but somehow communicated something that isn't just about learning uh, a craft, although it is a little crafty. Um, This extends back, you know, I'm sure they did it in China and certainly in India, uh, this practice of sewing. And in December, I uh, finished uh, something called a practice period, which you could say is kind of a family gathering for sewing teachers, like over 100 sewing teachers uh, for seven months had a practice together where we would meet. And the pandemic sponsored this because people from all over the world is like Russia everywhere sewing teachers hung out together and practiced and chatted about old stories we told ourselves old stories of teachers some dead some close to it (laughs) and some others um and our own stories of our practice together and mistakes we made or hilarious things that that we did um And there was a surprising thing that happened at the very end. After the whole practice period was pretty much over, the very last thing we did was a ceremony, a
1: memorial ceremony for broken pins and needles. (laughs) So um, maybe Wei could screen share the box of pins And with the little piece of cloth, so there's a screen share, and I don't know if
0: you can um, size it up a bit, but you see that piece of fabric, yeah, is just like a scrap of fabric. And I placed a box of old broken pins and needles that I've been carrying around with me for probably 10 or 15 years, you know, and, met, and all sewing students who've sewn with me probably Uh, Contributed to that little box. And I put it, I wrapped it in the cloth with that little piece of twine, and I put it in the mail and I sent it to a woman named Fiona in Minnesota. Okay, so you can uh, maybe then put up, wait, if you could please uh, uh, show us the picture of the altar.
1: So I sent that little package to Fiona. Uh, and Fiona was, uh,
0: was going to conduct this ceremony for us, which is originated in Japan. And I think this Kuyo, this word, I don't know, Taigan probably knows everything about it, but I don't know much about it, but I read that it's, uh, it's a translation in Japanese of the word for puja, which is to make an offering. But there's all sorts of things. People in Japan make offerings for like old cell phones and stuff like this. But in our little Zen way, if you see that altar, and it might be, I don't know how it looks on your screen, but in the center is a round blob of tofu. And in that tofu are these pins. And the reason that the pins are put in to- and needles are put in the tofu is to allow them to rest because they've been working so hard for so long, uh, going through rough fabric and dealing with our hands. Um, And on either side of the pictures, one is uh, Tomoe Katagiri, who is uh, the wife of a Zen master who was Suzuki Roshi's. So, our our Dharma grandfather or great grandfather, Suzuki Roshi, um, was his assistant's wife. And, and Katagiri started many practice centers in especially Minnesota, where Matt is from. And I'm sure Matt's practiced at some of them and has probably even seen or sewn with Tomoe or his, his students. So, Tomoe was a famous sewing teacher. And then, next to who's Japanese in birth. Um, and then on the other side is a picture of Blanche Hartman and someone named Joshin San, who came over to to teach sewing at San Francisco Zen Center. And all of these uh, Blanche and Joshin are deceased and San is retired. So this is kind of our family story. So, you know, and on that altar, which is also interesting, is the altar cloth. If you look on the, what to me at least looks like the left side, um, is a strip of that. It's that strip that I sent to uh, Fiona, and she made that into an altar cloth that almost looks like a little bowing mat to me. But um, there was something in this spirit. You know, Zen ceremonies are, and um, we can maybe uh, let go of the screen share, please. Um there's something in these little zen ceremonies that can seem a little weird to us Americans but they're very sweet they're often very simple and caring and reverent and you they often include the offering of flowers incense and light sometimes a little snack this one I guess had some tofu um there's a little bowing and a chant and you can even miss them kind of quickly they often happen and if you blink your eye they're over with but they're these little acknowledgments of
1: our relationship to the world and to each other and um i'll share another one that that i i do Um, which I was surprised
0: a friend of mine does. So um, there was a time when actually Tayo and I were driving and we passed some roadkill and he did a little bow while he's driving. And we now do this together when we're hanging out. And recently I received an email from a friend of mine at San Francisco Zen Center and she was also talking about how when she sees road kills, she does a little bow, sometimes with one hand on the steering wheel, you know, unless you're walking around like Chicago, like cicadas might be on the sidewalk. And that's a little bit of these, like, it's a little cuyo, it's a little ceremony. But it was funny, like my friend, who I'd never spoken about my practice of this, it's a private thing, pretty much. But but she's was my Zen cousin who lives at Green Gulch Farm. And she actually did this too, spontaneously. And I think this is about our family style. And sometimes ceremonies in Soto Zen in particular are referred to by this term, uh, Memitsu no Kafu. And uh, one way to... Uh, and this is a little Japanese saying. So we have all these little Japanese sayings that pepper our language. Um, I don't know if any of you had ancestors who came from another uh, country or spoke another language, but you know, by the third or fourth generation, they have a few words that come from that native language. You know, uh, that's often in Yiddish and Jewish families. But but in my family, there were words that would come about, and they were sort of the old, old way, you know, the old world way. And so we have these terms like memitsu no kafu, which is really sort of translated as family style. Kafu is like family wind of the family. that I think that's kafu. And memitsu is this kind of careful, intimate attention. And now some people might be memitsu no kafu freaks, Right. Like, they're really precise and uptight about ceremonies. So there's some some parts of, of, of Zen schools where, like, you know, everything has to be just so. And, you know, the teacher gets really upset if you make a mistake. Um, but our way is a soft way in, in our Suzuki Roshi line as well. So I think that this is an aspect of our family style, though, is in some ways caring for things. And this isn't just a ceremony for broken pins, but it's also how we eat, how we sew things, how we settle into our Zoom windows. Today, we cared for each other, calling on each other, um, coming together, listening to each other, being together. This is
1: our Memitsu no Kafu way, uh, the family style, and um, you know it can be how we approach the counter at a grocery store, or how we open the door, how we greet each other. Memitsu no kafu this intimate
0: attention and while I was thinking about this because really this whole talk was inspired by this little ceremony of sticking pins into tofu you know it wasn't like voodoo or whatever that kind of you know form of magic is called but it has its own magic and this is our magic this is our you could say in some ways our superstitions but we're all you know we become familiar with this in our family style so it's kind of like you know The way people set the table for Thanksgiving or who brings what, uh, you know, who brings a cranberry sauce, (laughs) who brings a tofu. Um, And there's a a lightness to that. So while I was thinking about this, I came across this writing by my Dharma uncle, who is a Dharma brother, actually ordained with Taigen and Tayo, by the way, Reverend Mio. And Reverend Mio is the Abbot of Hartford Street Zen Center, so that's where that uncle resides in the Castro in San Francisco.
1: <laughs> he has not left that beautiful place so far as I know um so Reverend Mio had his own like version of these three pillars of Zen now. I've never read this Philip Kaplow, Three Pillars of Zen. Probably everyone else has. But, you know,
0: Zen practice for me isn't so much always about reading everything. But I was kind of interested. I said, I wonder what this three pillars of Soto Zen that Mio talks about. Mio's like, oh, I have my own pillars in Soto Zen I'd like to talk about. So he writes that the three pillars he talks about are Shikantaza, another Japanese word, which is basically our Zazen, just sitting. Genjo Koan, which is our famous actualizing the fundamental point, or let's
1: say being in the world without any holding back. Uh, Expressing our Zen hearts in relationship to everything. Sometimes somebody like
0: Taiga might say expressing suchness. Things as it is. Practice without delay. But you know, I want to focus on the third pillar, which is another Japanese term that I just mentioned: menmitsu no
1: kafu. And Mio writes this. Mio writes, menmitsu no kafu. In this expression, the character mitsu means cotton, <laughs> and men means. Close, intimate, dense, or secret, and ka
0: is family, and fu is wind or manner, or family style, as I say, are kind of you know how like <laughs> this just came into my mind, but like there are houses of fashion, like Lady Gaga had the House of Gaga as her uh, fashion house, you know. So we have kind of a, a house, our own house style, you know, our own house style and. There was house music that Tygan talked about yesterday from the chant, the jewel of this mirror samadhi. But Mio, Reverend Mio, Uncle Mio goes on and says, taken as a whole, this expression means a close, intimate family style, as intimate as the threads of finely
1: woven cloth. So each thread is separate, but it's so close. Um. So the forms that we
0: have in Zazen, the forms that we're creating in our uh, sangha here in the cloud, and when it's in the cloud and in person, and when it's in person, all that is this uh, finely woven fabric that's so close. Um, Mio goes on and says, a household animated by this
1: principle is characterized by attention unstintingly, say that word three times,
0: unstintingly uh, paid to the connections among people and things. And this, it is this that largely animates Soto Zen training, both inside and outside of training halls, carefully dealing with even the most mundane aspects of daily life, such as cups and saucers, rags, clothing, trash bins. Uh, it is the arterial connection between shikantaza, our zazen, as encountered on the cushion, and our workaday world where our bodhisattva vow unfolds.
1: I thought, that's pretty good, Uncle Mio. Thank you for that. Uh, so uh, so this is the spirit of memitsu, or intimate attention,
0: that this uh, kyo ceremony of broken pins uh, is about. It may seem simple. It may seem almost even indulgent to care about a pin when there are so many things to care about in this world. But I think if we can't care about our broken needles or bow to beings
1: who met violent death on the side of the road, um, how do we have a chance for peace in this world?
0: So, um, it is traditional at these little ceremonies to read a text in this ceremony, like for the broken pins and needles. And this is uh, Fiona's words, which I thought were really beautiful and again relate to this style we have of coming together in practice. So Fiona, at the ceremony, after we did some bows and offered incense, stood in front of our little blob of tofu with pins and needles and said this statement, things bend and things break. It is their nature, the nature of things. We, too, often bend and break in living. But this is not the end of the story. And this is, that is not the whole story. In our bending and our breaking, our coming together again, our story is created and told, and we are more beautiful for having been broken. Our story is not made to be hidden. In parenthesis, this whole story that we call our practice together. <laughs> this, our story is not made to be hidden. The needle of practice carries the thread of Buddha's teaching through all of us. Singing the song of connection, realizing this wild and beautiful patchwork of bits and pieces that make us beautiful and whole. So, this is the harmony of difference and sameness. This is the Sandokai. This is our family style of taking care of things. You know, Suzuki Roshi, in his commentary on this Sandokai, which we chanted, it's something like branching streams flow in the darkness. <laughs> but in that, I think it was really the first time I was aware of this term, uh memitsu no kafu. But Suzuki Roshi said something like Um, This is a very a Mamitsu no Kafu, a very careful and considerate style. And then he offers. It is to realize the great mind that includes everything and to practice accordingly. So this is the fragrance of, of our Buddha way of realizing the great mind um, and practicing accordingly. And it doesn't have to be stuffy or uptight. And if it's stuffy or uptight,
1: that's cool too. You know? Um But this is our way of taking care of our lives,
0: the people we love and don't love, of everyday objects and intimately meeting each other in this way. this very intimate way. We're all in our houses. Uh, Nothing is hidden here. And,
1: you know, this is how we take care of everyone and everything without making them into objects. To be used, uh, but to make them into jewels, jewels, you know, whether it's a pin, whether it's someone's words, or everyone's welcome, you could say, in this. Dual family. So this is our
0: style, and it's a wind that turns the Dharma wheel. And this is what I wish for our practice together and feel in our practice together. So I think that each of us, you know, we're here to uh because we all recognize something. This resonates, I think, with us, this soft, caring, intimate breeze of memetsu no kafu the family style. And someday all these Japanese terms, Harikyo, you know, Memmitsu no Kafu, Shikantaza, Genjo Koan, they might fade away. You know, we might, we might just go Mitz. Remember that Mitz? We might, we might just have just a little fragrance of that left, but I hope that our family style without words, we'll just continue to flow, you know, on the wind, the wind that arises from the hammer striking emptiness, the wind that harmonizes with the wind bell, that wind in Chicago, that's felt in California. This is our way. So um, that's way too much, too many words, but thank you very much for listening and practicing together and Uh, please bring forth your dharma or your experience of this kind of miraculous, intimate family style
1: of being caring and considerate. So thank you very much, bodhisattvas. Your comments are welcome. David Weiner. I'll turn my mic on for a change. (laughs) Uh,
4: This one thing you said at the very end really struck me um, about turning everything into a jewel. And the metaphor that really popped in my mind all of a sudden is Indira's net with a jewel at every intersection of the net. And that we're all one, that we're making this we're bringing everything into the net and seeing it all in the net. And I think that that's such a, a beautiful thought, a beautiful way of looking at things, bringing it all, making it a jewel. And that net
1: sense, bringing it into the net. So thank you for that. Thank you, David. Mina, That was such a warm talk. I feel (laughs) Um, I'm very grateful for it. And um, I was struck by something you said at the end, um, I think caring for those we love and don't love. Um, And I think you've um, also just given me a way to see or, or think about what
0: the last two years have been um, and what, practice has been within it
1: but I was curious with the broken needles and
0: pins. is that something you just did on your own or is that part of the teaching part of the practice of teaching sewing or I I was very curious
1: about how you came to collect the broken pins and needles Mm -hmm.
0: thanks Amina yeah this um so maybe like we don't love Broken pins and needles. Maybe they punctured us, made a bleed. But still, they're put in a box. So this this um, broken pins and needles thing. Fiona proposed it, and somehow she knew about this because it it's a ceremony that happens in Japan. Kind of like their jizo ceremonies. There's a bunch of these things that happen. But um, so so really, uh, Fiona brought this forth to the group and said, could we do this? Is anybody up for doing this together? And this is this is the fun thing about our practice is it's not all scripted, even though there's all this form. It's sort of like, oh, this sounds cool. And we heard they did that in Japan, but it wasn't just Zen sewing teachers who did it. It's like a public ceremony because Japan's a place where people actually still do sewing. And there's actually an academic article, which I dug up, written on it, and there's some thought that we'll continue to study this. But the ceremony was basically like all ceremonies made up in response, but it was a really beautiful way to end things. So, you know, it wasn't like so planned, but it came out of our practice together that we would do this, but I'd not heard it ever done before by people. And Fiona found out about it because she's, oh, and the other thing that's interesting with that ceremony is that in Japan, they burn up the um, pins, they throw them in a fire. And Fiona said, we said, well, what are we, what, what are you going to do with them now? And she said, well, I'm in conversation with some, some people who do metal smithing and forging, and we're going to have discussions about what is the best way to care for these as they go through this transformation, because some of them have plastic heads and some of them have glass heads and some of them have no, you know, are are different metals. And so, so again, this is this memetsu no kafu of like, you know, I don't know in Japan, maybe they just throw them in a fire. I don't know, but, but somehow, you know, this is how the practice is working of like, Oh, let's talk to some Smiths metal Smiths and see what the best way to care for these are. And uh, so I don't know if that answers your question. If you'd like that paper, I can send it to you too, Amina.
1: <laughs> it's it's fairly easy to read. Thank you. David Ray.
5: <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much, Hogetsu. It's great to hear about that ceremony. Um, my Dharma brother Alex and I were happened to be there at, at your house sewing our, our rakusus when that when it happened, and uh, so since then, you know, when I'm with friends um, on, on the rare occasions when it's possible to do that, it's been fun to say. So I watched this ceremony where 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 some broken pins and needles got stuck into tofu, and it was so beautiful we all cried, and I, and, I, and I say that, and then I, you know, it's it's fun to just look at their face because it's it's. It sounds so crazy out of context. And so this is a question that I have, and this has been a question that that I've been thinking about for weeks now, is this question of devotion and why we have devotion in Soto Zen. And when I say devotion, I mean like, we have these forms that have, we have these rituals that have the form of worship. They resemble ceremonies in Hinduism and in Abrahamic religion, where, you know, where we're trying to get a, a, a divinity to do something, either give us something or not zap us or not make it stop raining or or, or something like that. And it's interesting to me that that, you know, uh, I mean, I, I and I love the forms. I love to offer incense to to the uh, a statue of Guanyin that I'm looking at right now. Um, but it's interesting to I mean, it, it's a question to me like what what? what do i think i'm doing when i when i'm doing that i was reading about uh, i was reading about bowing in in zen mind beginner's mind this morning and he talks about great mind there too so maybe maybe that's part of the mystery but it's it's a question for me still about devotion why we have it
0: that's good that it's a question well it's all made up to begin with um and many of it, that's kind of the the leftover wind of the family or the wind that continues is this, you know, like some people are like, oh, if I do this, I'll get some extra merit and then I'll be reborn in some heaven realm someplace. And Zen is, I don't know what Fiona was thinking when she made her offering. How I, and I don't even know if I'm doing my my practice correctly. So... I will be accountable to my teachers, Taigen and Tayo, for that.
1: But I just offer everything for the benefit of all beings. So I'm not actually bowing to Buddha necessarily and saying, or I'm saying, hey, you know, give me a
0: little extra, give me the winning lottery ticket. You know, we already have the winning lottery ticket. And so, but this question is, yeah, we can make everything up. So holding these forms lightly and they're just something to do. It's a small human effort. We can never express perhaps enough gratitude to the world. So we make these little efforts. uh. And, you know, I'm sure there'll be many dissertations written on where all these things came from. But I think they actually come from the human heart, from the secret, intimate place, Metsu. Ed, you have a comment?
4: Oh, sure. Thank you. You Like, you know,
0: Hollywood Square, so.
4: (laughs) (laughs) It is. But. Um, And to what David was saying as well. I mean, I thank you so much for your 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 talk. And Amina had suggested it's warmth. Absolutely. Um, There is you mentioned the word style many times and style is as emblematic of a people or a place or a community of persons (laughs) sharing consciousness of some variety. And I think that, you know, as I've gotten older, I I grew up Catholic and we always talked about the miracles Mm -hmm. Christ performed. And I've come to appreciate more the sense, the sense of a miracle being simply alive in community. When I say in community, I don't necessarily mean the conventional, conventionally understood sense, but genuine community of self awareness in the presence of other consciousness. And how miraculous that is. And so the idea of creating an object that is shared. These, I I don't know how to pronounce the word, Iruko, these things. I call Um, them bibs. Oh,
1: Rakasu. yeah, the bibs.
4: So Mm -hmm. that's amazing to me. The idea of creating this very... Almost, what would you say? It's it seems its application seems to protect the chest in a way, right? But it's a highly spiritual object. Mm -hmm. So I I appreciate that, and I would like to burden the saga with an image, which I have a habit of doing Mm -hmm. now. But please, and share my screen. And this is a tapestry by the Polish artist. Magdalena Abakanowicz, I'm not sure how to pronounce it.
0: Yeah, Magdalena Abakanowicz or something like yes. that.
4: She's done a lot of work in Chicago, actually. So
1: this is, a clo-
4: this is a close-up of one of her weavings. Huh. Huh. It, you can see the different communities and, and mm. colonies of threads
0: <laughs> yeah. in the piece.
4: I think it's beautiful. I've always admired her work. Thank you. Thank you for your talk.
0: Yeah, thank you for that beautiful image too. It's so much, even the color is so much like what we call actually the colors that we use are called broken colors. And our patch robes, our our rockasus and oquesas, these patch robes are um often were patched together from from thread that that's weakened or falling apart, you know, fabric that's old, and then it has to be reinforced over and over. You'll see, those are actually the finest, finest of cases are the ones that are most patched, you know? So we, we use new fabric, but, but there's something about always improving this, you know, always in, and improving is too strong
1: a word. I'm sorry. Always finding the limits of our practice. So, there may be certain origins and for people
0: in certain times and places, um, making these offerings may have been seen by us as superstitious, but that worked for them, but we find our community. And, and this is, you know, this is an ongoing challenge for Zen in America too. So we have this old, old ways and we still, you know, can carry on family traditions and hopefully ones that include everyone in Buddha's family, you know, Buddha in a lot of the sutras, they say Buddha's disciples, but the actual term is Buddha's children of Buddha. You know, so that's, and if that doesn't include everything and everyone, uh, we are still missing something. And as you know, I know about you, but I'm constantly missing things, but that's
1: a beautiful that's a beautiful uh, image you shared, Ed. So thank you so much. Matt from Minnesota. <laughs> yeah,
6: thank you so much, So-get-su. Um Mometsu no, no kaku, how do you say that?
0: Memetsu mm-hmm. no kafu. So ka no metsu is wind. No Fu oh. is wind.
6: Fu, okay. Uh-huh. I thought of a couple of things when you were talking about it, it's such a beautiful practice and I didn't have a name for it. And now I have a name, but I remember my first session I did um, at Dharma field, which is where you had your ceremony.
4: Mm-hmm. And
6: uh, I was serving uh, during the Oreoke meal and you wash your bowls and pour all the water into this bucket. And I brought it downstairs into the kitchen. And I dumped it down the drain. <laughs> and like, no, I know. Look at Tiger's face. I, I didn't know it was my first time. And, of course, you're supposed to carry it out and um, pour it, you know, by a plant or a tree. Um, I'm not sure the reason, but that's it's just more intentional. I thought this is inefficient but very grateful. And so this practice is inefficient, right? And I think that makes it wonderful, and it's very mindful. and And, of course, now every time I do that before the pandemic – it was very special. It would add to the sashim. Everything in sashim feels like that. what you're talking about, right? It's very carefully done and really special. You know, at MZMC, which category I'm um, founded, mm-hmm. um, we added on to our building a year ago. And oh. there was a big tree in the backyard. I don't know if it was oak or maple, but they chopped it down. And they took the wood from it. Killian, who um, studied with Paul Disco mm-hmm. in uh, California, took that tree and First of all, made an arch um, around our, uh, the entrance to our zendo. So there's the tree is there, and then he took two pieces of the trunk and made a gate um, across the sidewalk behind. And then this other guy took some of that wood from that tree and started making writing pens with them. So that tree is like living on in so many different ways. And I thought that kind of points to what you're talking about. You know, this sewing practice, all this stuff that's very inefficient but that's not the point. <laughs> it's like efficiency. So mm-hmm. it's such a different way of looking at things compared to like the efficient American culture, you know? So thank you for your talk.
0: Thank you, Matt. I mean, that's, you know, all of these, but this, this doesn't, this isn't just like this practice of, you know, that you describe of like, it's pretty efficient to use all the tree. It seems to me, you know, I mean, and just for people who might not be aware, I mean, what Matt's talking about is, is, um After eating in a in a meditation retreat, we wash our bowls at our at our cushions at our seats, and then dump the dirty water into a bucket and then the person's supposed to take the bucket and offer it you know to the hungry ghost or whoever outside the zendo, but also that same natural quality of you throwing it down the drain that's that's Memitsu no Kafu. You know, Suzuki Roshi, I read something he wrote, and he said, you know, yeah, there's this guy whose leg was hanging over the altar. And that's Memitsu Nakafu. Kafu. And so, so there's something I feel that, you know, it's these forms help us wake up. But also, when we leave the zendo, do we just run over people? You know? They're little training wheels, you might say, that when we're actually in the real world, because humans were such monsters, you know, um, that maybe when we meet someone on the street or we see something that is causing harm, that we'll know how to meet it with that same way in which you hold the bucket (laughs) or hold the needle or put the needle, the broken pin into tofu. So you bring up something really wonderful. It looks efficient, but, you know. Especially us Americans, we're used to just everything being disposable. And so look at now the mess we're in. And this is on many levels. This is around people, the way our culture has used people and uh, as objects. And so we are, our style here, our family style, hopefully will support uh, some kind of healing. And I'm happy to hear that that tree is
1: being loved and living with your sangha in Minnesota. Thank you so much, Matt. Taigen Bodhisattva.
3: Just another example, I guess, a story about Suzuki Roshi when he would go shopping.
5: Mm-hmm. Uh, he
3: would look at look at the vegetables and he would pick the ones that were. Uh, were wilting or were kind of going off and just because he didn't want them to go to waste. He, want, he wanted that, but it wasn't just a matter of not wasting. It was a matter of like really, um, I think f- feeling those vegetables and wanting to uh, have them uh, be useful. So, and be nourishing.
0: Yes, wonderful. And I think you bring up a wonderful point about it can't be faked. Like, it's not like, oh, I'm going to be a good Buddhist. So then I'll take care of this rotten vegetable. You know, it's the feeling of uh, that comes about in your body and mind, which I actually think is this feeling we already know. This is why we practice. And we also know that we want to, to do that every minute, every second, every instant of our life. And we know the, that, it's not so easy to
1: do, especially in a culture that uh, objectifies as a way of life. This is our our great challenge, I think, Bodhisattvas. But we're we're learning this
0: together. We share our stories, like Taigen's story of Suzuki
1: Roshi or Matt's story. And this becomes our lore, our song lines.